on May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. Visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome in, Lake Kick is live. It is Tuesday night, December 15th, the year of our Lord, 2020. I'm kind of looking all over the place because our studio looks a little bit different. And that is because we were on the eve of early signing day. Now, we're not talking about recruiting on the show tonight. I just want to give you a little prep. Number one, if we seem a little bit flustered around here, it seems like things are a little out of whack. Well, it's because it is. People have spent less time training for marathons than we have spent training today and preparing today as best we can for an eight hour show tomorrow. And you may think to yourself, eight hours, wow, so like, what are the chunks going to look like? You're on air for one hour, you're off air? No, there are no breaks, people, just eight hours. Director Collins sitting in there, haplessly, yours truly, Barton will be in here, Steve Wolfong will be in here, we'll have Bud Elliott, and several other folks down in Fort Lauderdale. It's going to be an extravaganza. Hopefully food is involved at some point. I don't know. Uh, But we will be on air on CBS Sports HQ. We will hopefully be running it through the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. So a lot going down tomorrow. There's a lot still up in the air. It's early signing day mixed with conference championship week, mixed with coaching searches. Never before has it happened. Hopefully never again will it happen, but we're prepared as best we can. So that's tomorrow. So if it seems like we're in a hurry to get home and get to bed tonight, that's because that's why. We start that thing bright and early at 8 Central, 9 Eastern, I think, tomorrow, Colin. So, yeah, it's going to be an all-day deal. Tonight, though, we are previewing a couple of conference championship games. Now, we figured the best way to do this is do two of them tonight, and then we're going to do three more conference championship previews on Thursday. So tonight we're doing the ACC and we're doing the SEC. So if we don't do the game tonight, like Southern Cal fans, don't come at me. We're going to do the game Thursday if we don't do them tonight. We also have the very latest out of Auburn. And by latest, I mean actual tangible information. Sometimes nothing happens in the last 48 hours from the time we talk to the time we talk again. Other times things do happen. I just want to separate some things for you tonight. We're going to do that at the end of the show. So I've got the very latest that I've heard out of Auburn and some things that I haven't heard that some other people think they've heard if I'm making sense to you. So we'll we'll dive into that. All that plus we've got a couple more best bets to add on to the Ramen Noodle Express. So let's waste no time because this is the last night in the world that we want to waste time. ACC championship game. Make no bones about it. This is the game I'm looking most forward to this weekend. It is a four o'clock kickoff Eastern time. It's on ABC. Uh, this one is in Charlotte, I want to say. Yeah, it's a, it's a neutral site. It's not in South Bend, Indiana, obviously. Clemson's a 10 and a half point favorite here. And it's Notre Dame and it's Clemson and it's going to be a lot of fun. And there are several different storylines. Some people don't like the whole storyline deal and some people just want to talk X's and O's. Well, here's the good news. Healthy dose of both in this one. And there's plenty of revenge talk out there. You know, this is kind of the headline grabby stuff, the revenge talk, the rematch talk. Uh, We don't, you you know, if you watch the show or if you listen to the show, we don't normally get into that all that much. I just think what I just said, it's more headline grabby than, you know, actually stuff you want to dive deep on. But let me entertain it for like 20 seconds. Normally when you're talking about that, 
you're talking about a situation wherein a team was upset and so they're going to be the decided favorite and they're going to go exact some revenge. Well, that's not the, I mean, kind of it's the case here, but you look at it and like, who, who feels doubted in this game? Who feels kind of, if you want to use the word disrespected, disrespected? It's not Clemson. It's Notre Dame. So if anything, the team that won the game before, that's the group with their backs to the wall. That's the group that's being sold short, if you want to, again, if you want to phrase it that way. So I, I don't, I just think a lot of that's anecdotal. And when the result goes the way that you think it'll go, you explain it away like that. But yet I saw someone do a feature earlier today, I can't remember where I saw it, where they went back, I think the last 20 years, and they looked at rematch situations. And more than half the time, the team that won the first game won the second game. Now, here's, here's the secret to that. Normally, it's just because the better team wins football games. Like, that's normally what the case is. If you don't believe Clemson's the better team, then okay, maybe what I just said's out the window. So that was a lot of nonsense, really. Let's get down to actual football-related matters. What is probably the most popular thing that you've heard anyone say about Clemson-Notre Dame Part 1? Well, Trevor Lawrence didn't play. And that's a fact. I had our stats and info department look it up to be sure. Yep, your eyes didn't deceive you. He did not play in the first matchup in South Bend. That was DJ Uyangalale. Okay, now, you've got one school of thought that says, well, he was out, he's back. Case closed. Clemson's game. And then you got some other folks, and they're thinking at a little bit different level, and they say, well, hold up now. Let's not just, let's not fly off the handle. Did you see Uyangalale's stat line in that first game? Because, hey, looks to me like if you were to just do a blind resume, you can't tell the difference in how well he did versus if Trevor Lawrence would have played. And when you're talking about just a, a normal stat line, you're right. Like, Uyangalale played out of his mind. He put up as good a numbers at that point as Trevor Lawrence had in virtually any game that he's played. So basically, the school of thought is, Okay, they were missing Lawrence, but how much better would he have done than DJ Uyangalale did? Like, quarterback's not the reason they lost that night. I happen to agree with that, by the way. However, a couple things can be true. It can be true that DJ Uyangalale wasn't the reason Clemson lost against Notre Dame the first time, but it can also be true that Trevor Lawrence may very well be the reason they win against Notre Dame the second time. Because it's not necessarily an apples-to-apples comparison. I'll give you a perfect example as we dive into the preview here. Just think about this. Just third down alone. Third down, uh, you've probably, if you've gone back and watched that game or if you watched it live the first time and you remember it, that's what stands out a couple of different ways, actually. Like Notre Dame got the job done on third down. Clemson did not necessarily get the job done to the degree that you would normally expect them to. And it allowed the game to remain in the balance. And ultimately, Notre Dame prevails in overtime. But just think about this. Change nothing else but just take Trevor Lawrence's mobility and his ability to extend plays when they're broken. If you just get a couple of extra third down conversions from him, broken plays, third and five, couple third and fives, third and five, third and six, it breaks down. He scrambles, falls forward, first down. That alone is the difference in a football game, especially a competitive football game. So his stat line, I'll, I'll tell you something that may very well happen. He may very well not have as impressive a stat line just in terms of raw numbers, as DJ did first time they played, and may end up being the winning quarterback here, uh, if some of you believe in quarterback wins as being a stat. It's a lot more situational is what I'm trying to say. Uh, Mobility on third down obviously is one of those situations where it's not going to be found in your completion percentage or your total amounts of yards thrown for. But as much as that's one popular narrative, let me shift to another one here because I don't buy another one of the popular narratives out there. I think that a lot of folks have a set opinion of Notre Dame football in their mind. 
And it doesn't really change year to year. I get the distinct impression. I grew up in the South. So I can tell you I watch all college football. Not everyone down here watches all of college football. Um, some folks, now I'm going to paint with a very broad brush here because it's not just a Southern thing. Like not a lot of folks in Texas are watching you. Not a lot of folks in California may be watching you. Uh, but they know about Notre Dame. They have an opinion of Notre Dame. And here's basically what it is. When I was talking to Brian Kelly, I showed you guys that clip about a month ago, and I told him, hey, so here's the impression. Until you win a national championship, no one's going to view you as being a top-tier team. He said, yep, you're pretty much right. We need to win a championship. But that's all. Until they win a championship, no one really changes their opinion. So what's the opinion? Well, here's the opinion. A high-power, high-octane offense is going to go up and down the field on them. I don't believe that. At my very core, the reason I differ in my opinion of how this game could go versus how some people view this game going is I don't think this Notre Dame defense is one that you're going to march up and down the field on. I need take you back no further than the North Carolina game. And I want you to remember that North Carolina game, Thanksgiving week. We talked about this earlier this week. They limited, really bottled up that North Carolina ground game, made them one-dimensional, and North Carolina really couldn't generate a whole lot of offense against them. There were historic lows statistically for North Carolina in that game, and you may think, okay, well, yeah, so what? Like, Notre Dame should have beaten them, but here's the problem. At the time, the spread on the game was like three and a half, and there were a lot of people picking that as an upset. You don't get to do a couple of things. You can do one or the other, but you don't get to pick North Carolina to win the game outright. And then Notre Dame beats them by two or three scores and then say, well, it's just North Carolina. You don't get to do that. And now I need to take you back no further than one week, less than a week actually, just last Saturday, when, as I told you, North Carolina committed basically a legalized hate crime against Miami and ran for over 500 yards, put up over 770 yards total offense. And everyone else was thinking about Miami, like the, the dead body that was Miami football the other day. I'm sitting there watching North Carolina pound on a corpse, and all I'm thinking about is Notre Dame limited them to what and how many? And, and wow. And so then I'm thinking about the ACC championship game and all this mentality out there that seems to be pervasive that Trevor Lawrence is back just going up and down the field on them. No, you're not. You may beat them, but if you beat them, you're going to have to beat them with razor-sharp precision. You're going to have to execute. You're going to have to convert a critical amount of third downs. You're going to have to do a lot of stuff that you have to do against really good teams. Not all the really good teams in America are parked in the Southeast. There may be one or two of them, believe it or not, that can challenge you from a place like South Bend, Indiana. Notre Dame's team this year is not one that you're going to A, out-athlete, not this one. You may beat them. It won't be because you just lean on them with superior athletes. And number two, you're not going to run them off the field defensively. If, if you beat them, you may beat them, but you're going to do it the way that I just laid out, not hanging 35 in the first half. Like That's not the kind of team Notre Dame has right now. How different is the Notre Dame offense, though? So when we go back to the last time they played, you remember it, it kind of got wild on the scoreboard, and there are two big factors that have changed. Uh, Notre Dame fans have talked about this until they're blue in the face at this point, kind of kind of that dark blue. But they're blue in the face at this point, talking about the vulnerability that they may have without Mr. Patterson there at center. And I'm worried about it just like you guys are, because there's been addition and subtraction each way. You know, Notre Dame understands very much so, probably about as in tune with their offensive identity as any team in America. And it starts along that line of scrimmage. And they were very good. You know, they internally thought they had the best line of scrimmage in America until you start getting injuries. Well, that alone is a factor. But then when you start talking about the interior or the middle, rather, of Clemson's defense maybe getting healthier, if it gets out of whack, that's how it gets out of whack. It gets out of whack because 
Clemson can really just come right up the middle, and Clemson can disrupt from an interior pressure standpoint. And all of a sudden, that run game that you were really able to lean on and have been able to lean on, just a little bit off rhythm. You got a little bit of a push on the interior. Maybe the timing and rhythm of those passing routes that really worked for Ian Book and company the first time, not there, just a hair off, just a fraction off. Well, what's the difference? The difference is those young defensive linemen for Clemson, all of them had five stars next to their name. Now they got a taste of this game. They got a taste of you. You're not quite what you were. You've lost probably a Remington Award finalist between the last time you played them and now. That's how it could get out of whack. They know, they being Notre Dame, they know they got to run the ball and got to run the ball effectively. Clemson wants to. But Etienne was a ghost the first time they played this game, and it was still neck and neck in overtime. So Notre Dame's got to run it. Clemson really wants to run it, but you've also got the running threat at quarterback you didn't quite have last time. So what do we see in this game? Uh, We didn't make a game capsule for this one because, uh, believe it or not, Colin's been busy with other things. We, I thought the line was going to be released at about 8.5. Well, it's sitting at 10.5 right now. So where I lean is I lean Notre Dame plus points, uh, especially if it's a 10.5. I lean towards Clemson to win the game. I do not buy, as I told you, at all the notion that this is one of those runaway and hide type conference championship games for Clemson. Because see, most of the time, when they're playing in the ACC title game, they're not playing a playoff caliber team. They're playing a team that just happened to trip into the ACC title game, and they can go basically have a nice, well-organized scrimmage with fans in the stands and a team wearing a different jersey with no tiger paw on the helmet. That's not this Saturday. This Saturday... You might as well look at it as the first round of the playoffs. And think about what I just said there. That hadn't been Clemson because it hasn't been the ACC. But for one year only and one night only, you actually get a playoff caliber opponent in your conference championship game, which means if the Tigers want to win a national title, they got to beat one, two, three playoff caliber opponents in a row. Welcome to the deep end of the pool. They're very capable of doing it, of course. So I'm going to take Clemson to win. I will take Notre Dame, however, to cover the 10 and a half. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes! Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Now to a game that many of you don't think will be quite as competitive. SEC Championship game kicking off in primetime this Saturday night. It's an 8 o'clock Eastern time kick. It's on CBS. Alabama is favored by, drumroll please, 17 points over the University of Florida. So I think we have to ask the first logical question, which is how big an impact did last week's implosion, for lack of a better term, and I don't think there is one, against LSU, how big an impact did that have on Florida? And... And here's kind of the note I wrote down. Can a team that's mentally weak enough to allow that to happen to them display enough mental fortitude to get up for this game and offer a big challenge? I happen to think, and this is just my personal opinion, I happen to think last week has nothing to do with this week whatsoever. Now, Florida may still get run out of the building, but Alabama's capable of doing that whether you win or lose the week before you play them. 
But I don't believe whatsoever you will watch Florida play Saturday and say, oh, that team's just a shell of itself now. Boy, they left their heart on the field that night against LSU, or maybe they didn't show up with it and that's why they lost. I I don't think that's happening Saturday. That's just me. I could be dead wrong about that. Now, as for Alabama, I'm going to read a stat to you. I, I don't normally keep up with these sorts of things, so sometimes stats that you guys have been throwing around a lot are news to me. They're public, publicly available. I just don't really keep up with it. So one of you told me today that the average margin of victory for Alabama right now is 50 to 17. They've only played conference games. They've played 10 SEC games, and they are averaging winning 50 to 17. So I said, that's not true. That's true. You guys, you don't lie to me. At least you didn't at that point. Um, Do you understand what I just told you? They have not played Kent State. There has been no Citadel. You know, that's normally, by the way, you notice, notice a suspicious lack of criticism out there. Because most people would lead you to believe that oh, some of these SEC schools, well, yeah, they can make a late season run. They throw a cream puff FCS team in there. Nope. Nope. This team in Crimson didn't. And they're surging. They're actually averaging better numbers than they ever do when they put a high school on there. There is no roast beef tech on the schedule for Alabama right now. And yet 50 to 17 is the average margin of victory. So I think Florida is going to look night and day different on the field Saturday as opposed to what you saw last week. Just putting Kyle Pitts on the football field alone makes him kind of a, a, different, a different monster to deal with. I think they're going to have offensive success. I'm not sure... Let me say how I want to phrase this. I'm not really sure where the ideology comes from that just because something happened one week, you'll get that identical result the next week. That never happens. This is the biggest flaw. That's why so many people lose money betting football. You take what you did see and you try and apply it to what you will see. You hardly ever see an identical product one week to the next week. You hardly ever see that. And yet so many people predict upcoming games based on what they saw last week. I don't think Florida's going to look like that at all. I think Florida's going to have some really good success against Alabama. I I think when you've got them completely dialed in, and this number 84 here, maybe you've heard of him, when you got him on the field, I don't think there's anyone really stopping them. I don't really think there's going to be this this point in this game where you're approaching halftime and you're saying, boy, this Alabama defense, as improved as they may be, this Alabama defense really shutting Florida down. That's not the way this is going to happen, okay? Alabama's a big favorite, but they're not a big favorite because some odds maker somewhere thinks that uh, Christian Harrison company, hopefully he's able to play. If he's not, well, let's just pick a new name. Uh, DJ Dale and company are going to step up and and shut Kyle Trask in Florida down. That's not what's going to happen. They are probably next to Alabama. They're probably as good a team as there is in America at using the whole field. Really good at Dan Mullen's excellent at that, and he's got the pieces to do it this year. Here's the problem, fundamentally. Here's the reason why I don't know if it's going to be sustainable for a full four quarters. Alabama doesn't have to fear the run game. Even when they played Ole Miss earlier this year, and we didn't think that Ole Miss could run the ball, well, even they ran the ball against Alabama. I don't think Florida is going to be able to duplicate the success Ole Miss had on the ground. You don't remember that. You remember all the high flying and all the throws down the field, but what allowed that to happen was Ole Miss running the ball. I don't think Florida is going to be able to run the ball on Alabama. They'll have to, as a result of that, execute consistently at a high level in the pass game, and they'll have to do it against a really good pass rush that's come on very, very much so lately, and they'll have to do it against the most athletic group of defensive backs that they've seen this year. But make no mistake, 
you're not, when I say that, I'm not calling for anything to be shut down. But what I'm talking about is as much as Alabama is going to give up yardage, if you ever watch like those National Geographic specials, which ironically is going to lead me to, I think, use an alligator reference, we'll use crocodiles. So we'll be neutral here. If you've ever watched those videos, you got to be pretty sadistic to do it. But if you've ever watched those videos from like the African plain, when you see the herd of gazelle, is it gazelles, Colin? Gazelle. What's the plural? Gazelle. We're going to go with gazelle. Um, a bunch of different animals come to the edge of the riverbank. And it is, it's a, it's just a river that is infested with crocodiles, but they got to get across the river. When you watch them go in, it's not that it's a, just a trap and none of them make it. Most of them make it, but not all of them make it. And yet the crocodiles, they just sit there and they watch several of those gazelles go by. And it's kind of like, congratulations, we'll catch you next time. But eventually the water turns red. And eventually there's a lot of thrashing around. And eventually the luck runs out for a few of the gazelles. What Florida basically has to accomplish Saturday is every single gazelle getting across the river. Because the team in crimson is going to score on you and they're going to score often. If that wasn't the case, then you could afford to lose some gazelles. But you can't afford to lose any gazelles here. And as many of them as may get across early, in other words, as many plays as you may convert early, and as, as many Alabama fans as may be sitting at, sitting at home early going, man, this defense, we got some holes, all that stuff's going to happen. Don't waste your time wondering. Florida's going to have some success against them. They're too good not to. But eventually, the jaws will latch around the ankle of one of the gazelles. And then another one goes down. And then a third one goes down. And what that basically means is you can't run the ball, so you're having to execute and execute and execute. And eventually, Pat Sertan is there, and he makes his presence felt. Eventually, Malachi Moore is there, and he makes his presence felt. And it happens just like that. You may, you may have a drive seamlessly going down the field. It happens just like that. Do you know what a turnover does against Alabama? And then do you know what a, a couple of them do? Much less a stalled drive, but a turnover. Do you know what happens there? And that brings me to this point. Florida's offensive line is pretty badly outmatched here. Pretty badly. They're outmatched along both lines of scrimmage, to be honest with you. But Florida's offensive line is outmatched pretty badly here. And I don't think it's going to be an easy afternoon for Kyle Trask. And because of that, there are going to be a lot of pressure throws that have to be made. I think he's going to make a lot of them. I just don't know that he's going to make enough of them. So there's another factor in play here. Alabama's going to win the game, I think. But there's another factor in play when we're talking about that spread uh, number one, Alabama has been like a, a complete machine all year, 50 to 17 average final, case in point. Uh, so they don't need any motivation to run the score up. But Colin just started running some B-roll of number six there in Crimson. Um, there's a trophy we don't talk about much on this program, and they won't be thinking about it necessarily Saturday. However, Alabama's natural game plan falls right in line with the ramifications that surround this trophy. The Heisman Trophy situation is as follows. Mac Jones is currently the leader in the clubhouse. Devontae Smith, who will get our late kick vote, by the way, is number two. The number one and number two leaders for the Heisman Trophy in terms of current Vegas odds both play for Alabama. Number three is Kyle Trask for Clemson. Number four, a distant number four right now is Trevor Lawrence for or Clemson. Uh, Kyle Trask plays for Florida. It always aggravates me when I'm riding home and I listen to the replay, and only then do I realize when I misspoke. So luckily I caught myself that time. And so I do, I am aware, believe it or not, that uh, Trevor Lawrence plays for Clemson. So what does that look like when it comes to trying to get margin in the game? Because I don't necessarily think, you know, Colin asked me, hey, if it's a blowout, you think, 
You think Bryce Young's going to get some playing time Saturday? No, Colin. I told him, nope, I don't, because there is a uh, trophy to take care of. And there is two guys, there are two guys on that team that each one of them could win it. I had a lot of fun. As we wrap this up, I, I, it's not on 247sports.com, but I would just encourage you. The guys over at AL.com had a feature today where they cited some anonymous defensive coaches. I think they were defensive coaches around the SEC. Um, the, the forecast was not kind to Florida for this game, but listen, coaches sometimes are no better at predicting an outcome than any normal guy on the, on the, on the street. I don't want you to go look at that. I want you to go look at what they said about the Heisman Trophy race because um, you got a lot of riders out there that are the reason Mac Jones is a current betting favorite to win the Heisman. I think they pulled 18 coaches from the SEC. 15 of 18 voted for Devontae Smith, and a lot of them offered a quote in, in lieu of, well, not in lieu of, in addition to their vote, and they said things along the lines of, if you can't see that's the best player in college football, well, number one, you don't deserve a vote. Number two, you're an idiot. I'm not going to impugn your intelligence. I'm just telling you that's the best player in college football, and he deserves the Heisman Trophy. And if you don't believe me, just watch the game Saturday. You may say, Josh, what if they double him? Doesn't matter. Just watch the game Saturday. So we'll take Alabama to win, and I'm going to take Alabama to cover the 17 points, even though our model slightly leans Florida plus the points. We're overriding the model. We're taking Alabama to win. We're taking Alabama to cover. Now, as for the Auburn coaching search, Ah, breathe deep. I didn't do this a couple of weeks ago, and I said something I didn't want to. I'm not going to draw your attention to it, so we, we gather our thoughts before we go into a new segment here. The Auburn coaching search. What is the very latest? Well, as of tonight, they don't have a coach. It is 725 in the p.m., 825 Eastern Standard Time on a Tuesday night. Things do not change every hour. That's what I want to stress to you. Just because there are new headlines every hour, just because there's a new post, just because there's a new tweet every hour, doesn't mean that the reality has changed within the last hour. You'll notice, if you follow my Twitter account, I have, I think, put one update out on this. It's because the, it's the only time I've been told something that really differed from what I had already said on air. And that was yesterday. And it, it came from a pretty good source. So let me just say, if I know something, I'll put it out there. And if we're not on air which we're normally not, like 23 hours and 15 minutes of the day, I'll tweet it out. At Lake Kick Josh is where you can follow me, by the way. I'm confident in saying a couple of things tonight. The first thing I'm confident in saying is our initial thought on this coaching search was incorrect. I think it was flawed. And what I'm talking about is, I told you last Monday, I was told from someone close to Auburn, I don't know if they're going to make a move on Malzahn, but if they make a move, Rest assured, it means they already have their candidate locked up. I don't think, as of today, I don't think that was the case. I, if it was the case, what could have happened is some folks may have thought they were going to get their way, and now maybe it's a little more muddy. Okay, so Or we could have just been wrong. So that, I don't think, was the case. Two things I want you to keep an eye out for as this starts to evolve. Um, well, three things. So let me lead it with this. I've been told, as much as we're getting ready for early signing day tomorrow, because we're talking to you Tuesday night if you're watching the video. So it's Tuesday night. I've been told for two days straight now, everyone's focused on early signing day. The people running this coaching search do not care about early signing day. That may fly in the face of conventional wisdom or even advanced wisdom. They, as far as I've been told, don't really care. They just want to get the hire right, and it'll happen when it happens. They're not worried about their signing class tomorrow. It's already not a signing class to write home about. You Auburn fans are all too familiar with that fact. 
Two things, though, that I want you to keep an eye on. Uh, number one, who is guessing? And number two, who's regurgitating? So as for who's guessing, coaching searches are famous. They are breeding grounds for people trying to establish instant e-cred, internet credibility. It should be i-cred, but it's e-cred. Um, and what's going to happen is someone out there is going to throw a guess out and it's going to end up being right. And a couple of things could be true. Let's take Kevin Steele as an example. There were rumors really hot and heavy yesterday that this was already decided and Kevin Steele will be the next head coach at Auburn. Well, that wasn't the case yesterday. I can confidently tell you that. It's not the case up to and including this very moment that anything's been decided. But you know what could happen? What could end up happening is Kevin Steele ends up getting hired. He ends up being the head coach there. Well, you can rest assured if that happens, the folks that were spouting that off Monday are going to tell you, who knew it? I knew it. No, you didn't know that any more than you knew the quarter was going to land on tails before I flipped it in the air. There is no inside information on a coin flip. You can guess right. There's a 50-50 shot. The odds are a little bit longer in a coaching search, but someone out there is going to guess right. Just be careful. A lot of folks are doing that. Number two, who's regurgitating? As is the case with content creation in our business, very few people create. A lot of people just sit around waiting for someone else to say something, and then they take a version of that, repackage it, give it a new smell, and they make it their own. Well, that's not creation. Or, or in this case, that's not reporting. That's just regurgitating. If you ever wonder why you see 14 different people report the same thing within a 10-minute span, it's because there's a lot of regurgitation going on. Now, sometimes it's because they have the same source. So that could be the case too. Got to have the trained eye. Got to watch out for it. Because not everyone or group of people who are saying the same thing are regurgitating. They may independently be getting that information. So I don't have a code for you. Like I, I don't have a little magnifying glass that you can look through and spot the frauds, but they're out there. So here's what I can tell you. This, this is the other thing I feel pretty confident in telling you. There's nothing decided right now. And anyone telling you otherwise, I believe to be wrong on this. Kevin Steele is not assembling any coaching staff right now. I've seen that rumor out there. I don't believe that to be true. I think Kevin Steele very well may end up being the head coach at Auburn. I don't think anything along those lines has been decided. I don't think anything is a foregone conclusion. Now, here's what I've gathered today. Don't be surprised if you see some new names thrown in here. Over the next uh, 24, 48, 72 hours, you get the deal. We have to talk meteorologically now, like there's a weather system coming in next 24, 48 hours. Uh, and by the way, coaching searches always work on 24-hour intervals. No one ever says next one to two days. It's always 24, 48 hours. It's great. And so next 24, 48, 72 hours, you also notice I increased by over 100% there at the time frame. Uh, that's called fence riding. On the time frame, I have to fence ride. But I am pretty confident in telling you there are going to be some new names emerge. Now, here's what you have to be able to do. You have to be able to realize, well, is it smoke or is there substance to this? Um, there, are, there are some names out there. I told you James Franklin the other day. Some people took that the wrong way. I didn't tell you Franklin was a serious candidate. I don't know that. Maybe he is. Maybe he's down there right now. I don't know. What I told you is there were at least one or two very powerful people at Auburn who wanted to go after him. That's all I knew. I don't know if they have any real stroke. I just know that they wanted to go after him. I think... Franklin notwithstanding, so push that one to the side. I think there may be a couple of names here that are not at the forefront and maybe not even on the back burner that are ultra silent and may be involved. And I, I want to hold off because I don't want to be the one that throws names out there because I know how that works. So just watch them because I think they'll pop up over the next day or two because I, unlike some people, don't believe anything's been decided here. 
Uh, the other thing is not everyone's on board with the search firm at Auburn. They announced today out of Atlanta they got a search firm, and uh, not everyone's on board with that. Like if you're the president of university, yeah, you want to do things with the search firm. Like I get all that. Not everyone's on board with the search firm. So all the while, what's the backdrop? What's the big curtain that's behind this entire play? You fired Gus Malzahn. And let's remember what the fact is. Not only did you fire him, he pulled off in his F-150 the other night with $10 million in his pocket and another $11 million coming over the span of the next couple of years. So you are paying a man $21 million not to coach. And what is our theory around here? It's okay to do that. If you got the money, spend it. We can't tell you how to spend your money, nor would we even if we could. But you better have a definitive upgrade. Now, as you look around, it's your program, Auburn fan. As you look around, do you see the definitive upgrade? Have you spotted in all the rumors, all the conjecture, all the names thrown around, have you spotted the definitive upgrade from Gus Malzahn? Because I got to tell you, I haven't yet. And with that, we go to the Ramen Noodle Express. We got two more best bets to add tonight. Uh, We've already got you Missouri. So we gave you that one the other night. That is, of course, a non-conference championship game, in case anyone was mistaken there. Missouri minus one and a half. At Mississippi State, I think that game is played on Saturday. Now we got a Friday game we're adding. We are taking the Mario Cristobal-led, at least for the time being, that is not a hint, by the way, the Mario Cristobal-led Oregon Ducks plus three and a half versus Southern Cal. This game, by the way, uh, do you understand the state of affairs for Southern Cal? So Southern Cal played last week. Their competition, as it turns out, the Pac-12 title game will not have played last week. And Southern Cal was having to prepare for two teams on short rest, and now they find out they're playing the team that they weren't preparing for. And meanwhile, Oregon was up there preparing for Southern Cal the whole time in case they did get the green light. Now they have the green light. This is not a soap opera. This is real life. It's actually how the Pac-12 is deciding their championship game. So we're going to take Oregon plus three and a half. We're also, in a very off-the-radar game, going to take Washington State plus ten and a half. Those are our three best bets so far. Missouri minus one and a half. Oregon plus three and a half, Washington State plus ten and a half. As I said, uh, what what are we saying? I rarely look at the live chat. It just it, it distracts me. I go back and look at it afterwards. Okay, so here's what's happening. Uh, that's the end of the show because we have to go home and rest because we have eight hours of early signing day coverage tomorrow. So I encourage you, tune in. It's a busy week, but you'll have the off-season, the entire off-season to rest. And there's going to be a time, you and I both know it, in June or July where you're watching old replays on YouTube because you're longing for football. Well, you have more of it than you could possibly say grace over the rest of this week at least. So make good use of it. We'll see you tomorrow, a long time. And then on Late Kick, we'll see you again Thursday night. Until then, for Director Colin, for Producer Jordan on the podcast side of things, I'm Josh Pate. Have a great night. See you bright and early tomorrow morning, and God bless. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present a mountain of zen this earth week you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on paramount plus paramount plus official streaming partner of the national park foundation